How many of you love technology? Raise your hand. Okay, a few of you. How many hate technology? Raise your hand. Yes. How many of you are like, yes, praise the Lord, both? Right? We love it and we hate it. That is so true. Many of you have technology. In fact, some of you have technology in your body to run pacemakers, other types of things. But we're going to talk today all about Ecclesiastes and about King Solomon and technology and some of you have heard of AI. Anybody? Anybody hear AI recently? Yeah, quite a bit, huh? Here's the point. By the end of the message, I would love for you to be able to choose your own adventure. Choose your own adventure about your response to a Christian's role with technology. How many of you grew up in the 80s, 90s? You know about those books, Choose Your Own Adventures. Anybody? A few of you. If you're a millennial or, or uh, Generation X or Alpha or whatever they say today, um, you missed out on these incredible things like you are a shark. I mean, you guys got Harry Potter. We got you are a shark, okay? But the point of these books were that when you read them, you could actually change the destiny of the character. So you are presented with a choice, and then you would choose your own adventure. And today, you're going to have a choice about how you will respond to technology. Just to tip my hat to the Gen Xers in the room, we didn't have a lot of technology, did we? Not really. In fact, here's a few of the 50 best things that you missed if you were not part of the 80s or 90s. These were scratch and sniff stickers. So I know today you have metaverse, iPads, you're going all to different planets. We could scratch a piece of paper and it was supposed to smell like pizza. It didn't. I still have that smell in my nose though. Let's go to the next one. This is where you could call He-Man. I mean, whoever thought of that? Uh, I don't even want to know who He-Man was on the other end, but that didn't go well. Or this last one. This was our roller skate. These things did not even work. You'd put them on, you'd hit a stone, and then your mom would put Bactine on your knee, and that thing would burn. Am I the only one, or are there a few of you out there? Okay. Yes. All right. See? Awesome. All right. Well, let's get into the text. Let's get into Ecclesiastes. By the way, somebody said, who are you at the end of the message, and I go here, so... I don't know why they asked that, but I go here. So I, I love LifePoint. I'm on the security team. Let's hear it for the security team. Yeah, all right. Yes. Uh, no, the amazing people who serve here. Wow, the band, the ch children's ministry, all kinds of people. So thank you for that. Here we are. Let's read in Ecclesiastes 8.14. This is Solomon. Solomon, I just read, this is true, According to today's wealth, with inflation, he was a multi-trillionaire. Think about that. A multi-trillionaire and the wisest guy on the planet. Not bad, but here's what he says. There is nothing else, there is something else meaningless that occurs on the earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of their life that God has given them under the sun. 
I did not read that in a Hallmark store. That did not make the cut. We've looked at Solomon and said, you know, he has some depression at times when you look at life separated from God. And unfortunately, a lot of us, if we're honest, we view life separated from God. I was just talking with someone on the break and they said, yeah, you know, I come to church Sundays, but the other six days of my life feels very disconnected from my faith. And we wanna address that today. In fact, the first point that we can gather from that Ecclesiastes passage is that life is not fair. And we feel this. Life is not fair, and number two, we long for justice. I know a lot of you have seen uh, the movie, the recent movie, The Sound of Freedom, with something in you stirring and crying that something is not fair and we long for justice. Well, if we don't have God in the equation, we really lean to one extreme when we don't see justice, and this is that we either choose dystopia or utopia. Dystopia is a godless, godless, you know, everything negative's happening, the world's all gonna blow up, this type of thing. That's, that's one extreme, and when we go to certain social media platforms, it feels like that. I go to one in particular, and I'm like, oh my gosh, the whole world's going, you know, gonna blow up tomorrow, and it just feels like that. But the other is, extreme is utopia, and utopia is basically saying, look, science and technology will be our savior. Science and technology will create such a perfect life that honestly, we don't need God. And these two books are kind of those spectrums. These, these were before Hunger Games and Divergent. These were your choices back then, 1984 and Brave New World, and that's really where a lot of the society is. If you look at this picture, it talks about the two authors, George Orwell and uh, Aldous Huxley, and basically, this is where we get the term Big Brother, and we feel like, wow, media's watching us, and I say the name of a restaurant, and then it shows up on my phone. They're stalking me, right? We kind of feel this way, and then the other extreme is, hey, just let's trust the utopian society with everything. In fact, there's a statement now that says, you will own nothing and be happy. And that's the World Economic Forum's mantra. So we see this polarization, and where are we supposed to line up as Christians? You know, I used to be in the pastoral role for 12 years, I loved it, but, but now I'm an entrepreneur, and I actually love that more. I know that sounds weird, but, but I love it more. I love to be in the business world bringing my faith. Recently, I attended a conference, and I'm going to show you a clip from the conference. It's talking about the 10 meta-trends that are happening in the world that are about to happen. And I'd love for you to you know, use your brain, because it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Let's use our minds today, let's see what's coming, and then let's talk about a Christian's response to that. Let's watch. Humanity and our digital progeny are transforming our lives, our business, and our planet at an exponential rate. What was once science fiction just a few years ago is now science fact, making what was once miraculous now seem routine. What was once the purview of multinationals and heads of state 
is now child's play and available for free online. Converging exponential technologies are growing and overlapping into tsunami-sized waves that are reinventing industries, rearranging fortunes, and without doubt, rewriting our future. So what does the next 10 years hold for us? Predicting the future is difficult under any circumstance, but perhaps the prevailing metatrends can offer us a glimpse of the exponential road ahead. So let's count down the top 10 metatrends impacting humanity, increasing global abundance, and giving birth to the next few trillion dollar fortunes. Our first metatrend is the awe-inspiring speed with which we are blanketing the Earth in gigabit connectivity, linking everybody and everything 24 hours per day at ultra-low cost. Billions of people and devices are exchanging data, transactions, points of view, music, Google searches over an ever-expanding 5G terrestrial network and thousands of orbiting Starlink satellites. This is a future of abundant information and connectivity in which you can know anything you want, anytime you want. Our second meta trend is Web3 and the metaverse, a social and ownership layer on top of the internet, providing self-sovereign identity, connecting people, places, and things. The metaverse will guarantee authenticity and chain of title across time and space via blockchain, profoundly impacting every industry from retail and advertising to education and entertainment. The third meta-trend is a revolution in how we feed 8 billion people. Today, cellular agriculture, stem cell-based beef, chicken and fish, they're already in production and getting government approvals. Meanwhile, massive vertical farms are producing healthy greens 24-7 year-round. Over the decade ahead, we're going to reinvent how we feed a hungry planet in the most ethical, nutritious, and environmentally sustainable fashion possible. And speaking of sustainability, our fourth meta-trend is the continued emergence of globally abundant and cheap renewable energy. In the near term, the most exciting news is coming from advances in perovskite solar cells, yielding 24% efficiency coupled with breakthroughs in batteries. But that may pale in significance as dozens of companies race to demonstrate and deploy commercial-scale fusion by 2033. What if instead of treating your genetic disease, you could cure it permanently? What if you could cure AIDS, enhance various genetic aspects of your physiology from strength to immune function? And what if you could bring back extinct species, ranging from woolly mammoth to dodo and Tasmanian tiger? That's the promise of our fifth metatrend, CRISPR and gene therapy. Our sixth metatrend focuses on increasing human health span. A dozen game-changing therapeutics, including epigenetic reprogramming, stem cell supplementation, synolytic medicines, coupled with the power of AI and quantum technologies, has the potential to help us slow, stop, and even possibly reverse aging. Every additional healthy year we add to humanity is worth $38 trillion to the global economy. What will you do with an extra decade or two of health span? Metatrend number seven is the rollout of High Bandwidth Brain Computer Interface, or BCI, the awesome ability to connect your neocortex to the cloud. BCI is already here, helping paralyzed patients communicate using just their thoughts. But imagine being able to think in Google. By 2033, Ray Kurzweil predicts our ability to expand our senses, augment our memories, and enhance our intelligence. Next up, Metatrend number eight, is the arrival of humanoid robots and avatars. 
fulfilling service jobs that are dull, dangerous, or dirty. Elon Musk said it best about the Tesla bot. This technology will upend our idea of what the economy is and bring about an age of abundance. Towards the end of this decade, we will experience our ninth metatrend, the deployment of quantum technologies. Technologies like quantum computing, quantum imaging, and quantum sensors that have the potential to revolutionize medicine, energy, and communications. They also have the potential to solve problems that are currently intractable using classical approaches. Our 10th and final metatrend is artificial intelligence, specifically its pervasive deployment throughout our lives and the expectation that it will reach human-level intelligence in the years ahead. Ray Kurzweil predicts human intelligence by 2029. Elon Musk predicts it will grow vastly smarter than any human and will overtake us by 2025. And while this may cause fear for some, it's important to realize that this technology is our greatest tool for slaying grand challenges and creating global abundance. So there you have it, 10 metatrends for the decade ahead. How will they power your MTP and enable your moonshot? For the next four days, we will peer into the extraordinary future ahead, a future coming at blinding speed. So don't blink. The future is most definitely faster than you think. All right. So how many of you are like, I can't wait till Jesus comes back? Right? All right. So... So I was uh, at that event virtually, and uh, imagine what you just saw in six minutes. Imagine four days of this with a deep dive. And what's interesting is that you have to totally two different sides. I told, uh, I told Facebook, I posted on Facebook that I was speaking on um, AI and Christianity, and I got two massively different responses. One person sent me an article that said how AI is translating the Bible and how there's only 700 languages right now that have the Bible in their native tongue, but there's 7,100 languages total. And so they're very excited about this Greek room AI, which is actually endorsed by Wycliffe Bible translators. Okay, so you got this view. And then you got another view that says, a great gentleman, love him to death, but he basically is, is warning me to warn you not to use AI, that it's uh, satanic, it's about deceit, and we should not use it. So where does a Christian go with these types of views? And sometimes the church we don't want to talk about these things because it's tough, it's edgy, it's, we like black and white. I like black and white. Some of you like black and white. What I think we need to look at when we study this is how does Ecclesiastes, written thousands of years ago, relate to this? Solomon had all the money in the world. He had all the technology in the world in his day, and he has responses. And scripture has responses. In fact, let's go to this verse here. Whenever we talk about technology, I ask people, where is your hope? Are you putting your hope in the next technological breakthrough? Are you putting your faith in the next breakthrough? Or looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ? I think we're supposed to explore science and technology, bring our faith into the equation, but keep our hope and faith 
in God who created technology. Back to Genesis 1. Unfortunately, a lot of people believe Twitter 2, 13 through 14. Let's look at that verse. I changed the verse. This is not a verse. Don't screenshot and get me in trouble, okay? But looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great machine and our savior artificial intelligence, Twitter 2, 13 through 14. All right, the point is this, like a lot of people are putting their faith and hope in technology. In fact, the guy who created that conference is one of my friends and clients. And when you take real tech people and go to the extreme, they have their own rapture. Do you know that? Let's look at this here. It's called the singularity, and the singularity is where AI outpaces human intelligence and as I've chatted with people, they really are holding to this point. Almost like Christians, like I'm assuming a lot of us believe in the rapture and that is our hope. They cannot wait for the singularity. And it's like they're counting down the clock. And I'm not, I'm not mocking them at all. In fact, let's go to the next slide. They have predicted it's 2025 to 2029. These are books that are out, but, but this is a big thing. And universities are now talking about chat GPT and like, is that cheating? Is it a tool? What about calculators? Is that the calculator of today's culture? We're looking and seeing that a lot of people believe we are in an evolutionary cycle and that humans are about to be replaced. So I know my parents are in their 70s, and we have chats about this stuff, and I think you can be old and think young, and I think you can be young and think old. You know what I'm saying? I don't think this has anything to do with age. I think that if you're a young thinker, I mean, some of my friends are honestly in their 70s and 80s, and they're in this conversation because they're saying, wow, this is incredible. But there's other people that take it to the extreme, and it gets a little bit scary. We're going to look at that really quick here. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, back, this is a uh, human Michelangelo, I believe it was, a retake on the two hands, but we have the human now touching the robot. And if we look at Ecclesiastes, this is not new. So Solomon literally says nothing new is uh, nothing new under the sun. That's the whole point of this whole uh, series that we're in. And it says, when I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on the earth, people getting no sleep day or night, it does sound like today, during fireworks especially, <laughs> then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun despite all their efforts to search it out. No one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know it, they cannot really comprehend it. So Solomon is saying, look, my generation back then is spending sleepless nights trying to unpack shortcuts and technological advances. I believe as Christians, we should be on the forefront of science and technology, but I believe that there's a line. Let's look at this real thing here that, um, let's, let's look at Ecclesiastes 9, 3 through 4, where it talks about death. 9, 3 through 4, folks, 
death is going to happen. And you saw in those meta trends that we, we are trying to reverse aging. And I mean, it's good for a point, but there's some people that believe that we're going to transcend death as humans. And look here, it says, this is the evil in everything that happens under the same, the same destiny overtakes them all. King Solomon saying, we're all going to die and face the judgment. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and their madness is in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. We're all going to face a judgment, according to Scripture. We're all going to appear before God, and we're either going to stand in our own works and progress and achievements and failures, or we're going to be standing under the blood of Jesus Christ, and that is the hope that we have. I have a friend who literally wears a chain around his neck. You'll see on the next slide, you can Google this. This is a real place in Phoenix, Arizona, that when you die... You call this number, you might think this is a joke, this is true, you call this number when you die and they take your body and quickly freeze it. I have a friend who's putting his hope in this process so that you don't die, you're suspended and you're suspended until technology can catch up and they can put you in new hardware. Is this nutty or is this sci-fi or is this the Terminator? I don't know. But the point is this, folks. I'd rather put my hope in God. You know what I'm saying? All right. I'd rather put my hope in God. But we're also called to be in this conversation. That's the tough part. That is the tough part. So we have a few choices. Um, some people today, you're going to see a big trend. If you haven't heard this new word, I'm going to teach you a new word. But there's a big movement going on that is trying to escape death and weakness and sickness and failure and the effects of sin when you really think about it. And here's the two choices. We can choose to escape all these things through the machines, like I just mentioned, my friend, or through this other thing called transhumanism. Now, you might not have heard that term before, but this is a legit guy named Neil and he literally is the first human cyborg. And I know you're like, okay, that's crazy. And it probably is. In my DNA, it was, should you get your ear pierced? I guess in this guy's DNA, should you put an antenna in your head, right? But here's the reality, folks. We're moving at such a fast speed technologically that this will be coming very soon. A nursing major came up to me after the service and said, Four years ago, I was at a conference that the doctors were literally mapping out the CRISPR gene editing technology, where you can choose what type of baby you're going to have and alter the genes. So we are here. Now the question is, how do we respond? I'm going to show you a brief clip from a Christian scientist who I think you should actually jot down his name. His, his, his ministry is called Reasons to Believe. Reasons to Believe. And what I like about this is he's a guy who's choosing to be in the conversation and bring his faith with technology. Let's, let's watch this video. It started with the fact that why do some Christians 
deny tech or are hypocritical towards tech? Why is that, first of all? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And, and I, you know, I think part of it is um, the, the concern that Christians have that as human beings, we may be playing outside of our lane. Mm. You know, you oftentimes hear this question, should we play God? With the idea from a Christian perspective that no, we never want to, to, to play God. And I have a, a different take on that question. I think that because uh, as human beings, according to the Christian worldview, we bear God's image, we're image bearers. And that means we reflect in, in some way uh, features or aspects of our creator. Mm. And uh, if our creator is a, is a creator, then we're going to create too. So in other words, as Christians, or really as human beings, we can't help but to play God because we bear God's image. The, the concern becomes, are we trying to take God's place? And so that, that is the right question to ask. And it leaves a lot of space for science and technology. In fact, as a Christian, I see science and technology as an imperative uh, of the faith. You know, that's and, so uh, you know, and so I think that's probably the, the it's a, it's, it's a genuine sense of humility, Yeah. but I think it's a, as you're pointing out, it's an unsophisticated view of science and technology. I love that about your book that you said that straight out. You're like, should we play God? Yes. According to Genesis one, we're called to play God, but, but I know what you're saying. Imitate him as co-creators, not replace God. That's perfect. I love that. So other questions would be, we are putting in our ears um, technology, ear, hearing aids. Now it's implants. Um, you have a generation that's now becoming cyborgs. I mean, have you seen some of this crazy stuff? Yeah, I have. <laughs> okay. So that one guy who put an antenna in his head and it's like an implant. But where does it stop? I mean, you know, we say, oh, the prosthetic limb with brain-computer interface is okay if your leg gets chopped off. But pretty soon you see this line of, hey, if I can squat 600 pounds and sprint for 500 miles, why don't I just cut off my leg and put some of that? Like, where is the line? You know, that, that's a great question because I think most people are – Full, you know, fully comfortable with this type of technology uh, for biomedical purposes to, to, to help people that are suffering from diseases or debilitating injuries. You know, but there's, there could very well be legitimate reasons why you would want to modify your biological makeup. You know, uh, maybe, you know, uh, just a, a scenario off the top of my head, you know, what if you are working in construction and it would help to, to wear an exoskeleton so that you could go in and maybe lift and move very heavy things and with greater precision? You know, I could envision, you know, those kinds of applications just yeah. as an example. And of course, having a, a brain computer interface implanted in your brain, giving you that seamless control of the exoskeleton where you even have a sense of ownership you know, where it feels like it's part of your body could make perfect sense. And I, and I don't see that as necessarily, you know, uh, compromising our identity or even our dignity as human beings. So there is a line, 
And I've been thinking about this for a number of years and, and I still not quite sure where that line is. Yeah. You know, that's the, the thing that's challenging about this. So even this smart guy who wrote this book that I recommend humans 2.0, he's struggling. He's struggling with what is the line. I think Jesus gives us a great comfort. If we go to John 17, and this is where I'm going to kind of land everything today. Jesus is not surprised by CRISPR gene editing software or technology. God knew what was coming. God gave us the boundaries. And maybe it's like Genesis 6, where when we get too close to the boundaries, he resets the world. That's kind of what my dad, uh, a pastor, thinks is that, wow, we're, we're getting close and maybe God's going to reset things just because we're getting too close to the edge. I don't know, but here's what I do know. John 17, Jesus is about to go to the cross and he's thinking of you and me. Rather than thinking of the pain of the nails, the pain of the crown of thorns, he's thinking of you and me and here's what he says. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus says, I, I don't want you to take them out of the world. Okay, because uh, I want you to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So folks, I started with choose your own adventure, and this is where we're gonna basically end, is that you have a choice. This transhumanist thing that I talked about is this modification of your body and brain and integration between machines and humans and who knows where that's all gonna go, okay? But what I would rather you subscribe to is what I call a transformist. A transformist is someone who is in the world but not of the world. So I wrote a book a long, long time ago when I had hair, okay? Because I was struggling as a 20-something with this whole conversation. You see, I was wired to be a separatist. A separatist says the world's evil, and, or some of the world's evil, and I'm scared to go in the world, so I'm gonna create all these categories and rules, not godly, but just so that I can withdraw from the world and be a, a, a monk. And guess what, I, I, I chose that because it was safe, and I chose to go out of the world. And Jesus in John 17 says, don't go out of the world. But then the other camp is the conformist. The conformist says, ah, I'm just gonna jump in. I'm just gonna jump in, I'm gonna check my brain at the door, and I'm just gonna take it all in, everything. And I'm gonna be a conformist, I'm gonna be of the world. But God is calling us to be this third camp called in the world, not of it, this transformist. And I know we only have three minutes left because there's a big flashing thing at the back. So I'm gonna, lead, I'm gonna give you a slide where you can download uh, my book. There's no email required. I'm not building an email list. I'll never contact you. But this is a link. If you want the book, if you want free copies of the ebook, you can just go to that website and you can literally see the biblical 
position of how to be in the world but not of the world. Someone who uses tech but isn't used by tech. Someone who's on the cutting edge of science and progress but also their faith. And I think that's the exciting opportunity that we have as believers. You see, because I grew up thinking that you had to be a pastor or missionary only if you were going to love God. But now as an entrepreneur, I love the fact that I can bring my faith into the marketplace. And I want to encourage you. Maybe you haven't thought that way before. Maybe you thought like that person in the first service who thought, you know, what I do on Sunday is just my thing with God, and then the other six days is mine. And we know that God says in Romans 12 that that ain't happening, right? Romans 12 says that we are a living sacrifice. He wants you and me. As we conclude, I think that a lot of times we think of the prodigal son story. The prodigal son story has a separatist, the older brother, who follows all the rules but is very far from the father. He loved religion. But then you have the prodigal who was very rebellious, and he was a conformist, and he loved, as I mentioned, rebellion. And God doesn't want religion or rebellion. He doesn't want separatists or conformists. He wants you and me. And he sent his son to give us that invitation. And just like the thief on the cross, it doesn't take a baptism. It doesn't take sacraments. It doesn't take giving your money. It takes you looking to Jesus saying, I know I'm guilty. I know I'm getting what I deserve you're innocent, I'm placing my faith in your finished work on the cross. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. I'm gonna ask the band to come up and we're gonna close this out. But I do wanna ask you if, you know, this has touched your heart, if there is something that you're saying, Carrie, I need to step it up. I need to be in the world but not of it. I've been a separatist, I've been a conformist. Or you know what, I've... I've really thought that you can't be uh, a faith person and, and love science and tech. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, if, if, if that's you, just to say, stand up, because I'm going to just say a special prayer for you. So this is you saying, Carrie, I'm going to be a transformist. I'm going to step it up. So if that's you, just stand up, and I want to pray for you, okay? Because I know that sometimes in our lives we're like, you know what? I, I feel like God's calling me to go, go bigger, all right? So I'm going to close, uh, well, let's close our eyes, and if that's you, just stand up. Awesome. God, thanks so much for this amazing church, LifePoint. It's so fun to be part of it. It's fun to just serve and see your body of Christ here in Columbus area. We know that your word is clear, that you have sent us into the world. You ask us to explore, to create, to invent and throughout history, when your men and women did that and brought Christianity into science, it, it unleashed so much good into the world. We pray that we can return to that, that we don't check our faith at the door, that we don't put our hope in the technological breakthrough, but that we remember our place and we remember you just like Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, remember you. I pray for anybody here who says, you know what, I'm going to step it up. I have been uh, going to one extreme or the other, and I am in it to win it as somebody who's in the world but not of it. I pray a special prayer for them that even this week, 
they may have new opportunities. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.